It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. After last week's very hectic pace at the General Assembly, we really slowed down this week, Sky. We did. It was kind of like spring break feeling. I think I sent that to you the other day because there weren't a lot of votes in either chamber and just a couple committee hearings. Yeah, one of those committee hearings was uh, the Senate had an oversight committee meeting around the Colonial Pipeline. We were just coming out of this Colonial Pipeline ransom, which had shut down the gas lines, which made a panic buy here in Raleigh. I think we got up to over 60% of our gas stations did not have gas. And the Senate just Tuesday are holding a hearing and they're bringing in the Colonial Pipeline executives and some energy experts. And Senator Brent Jackson really laid out the case as to why we need to diversify our energy supply. And you and I were just kind of remarking one, we just finished crossover. Two, we're not even really through the crisis. We, there's still gas stations right now. We're, we're recording this on Thursday that don't have gas. What does that say about the Senate? They remain organized. They remain on message. The thing about the Senate is that their questions were well-worded. They really thought through who was going to ask what, and they're just deliberate. And sometimes we look at these oversight meetings as confrontational. They're really not. This seemed more like a fact-finding committee hearing, as if the Senate might be laying the case for some sort of energy policy that they're going to roll out. We don't know what it is, but it just had that feel that they were not going to let this crisis go wasted. Yeah, I think we've heard that there is going to be a PCS of an energy deal between stakeholders that's going to roll out soon. And those folks have been working on that for like months. Last Friday, Governor Cooper made a really a major announcement. Can you talk a little bit about this? Sure. After the CDC lifted the mask mandate or the recommendations for mask mandates. The next day, Governor Cooper also lifted that mask mandate here in North Carolina. And this morning we were in appropriations. And I think I remarked to you, it was really interesting just to see this room full of people without masks. Including Democrats. Uh, a lot yeah. of Democrats who, you know, we had heard from, they were very outspoken on social media. People need to wear their masks. But The CDC made their announcement last Thursday, then the governor makes his announcement the next day. It seems to have changed a lot across the aisle, and it's feeling really normal again at the General Assembly. It definitely is. I've been seeing a lot of like memes about, like the CDC says, have you seen all of those? I like the one that says the CDC says you can stop wearing Crocs now. So a news item got the attention of some of our clients, and I know a lot of special interest groups out there saw it as well. And it was this announcement that 
the House and Senate Republicans are having a fundraiser at the beach in November. At the Sanderling. Right, the Sanderling, uh, which is in Duck, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's $15,000 per caucus to attend, so it's $30,000. You get to hang out at the beach with Speaker Tim Moore and Senator Phil Berger. There are some rules of the road when it comes to uh, political fundraisers, and and both parties do this. They do these events, they charge admission, whether it's $30,000 or it's $30, they charge admission and, and you get to spend some time with legislators. Now, lobbyists, we are prohibited from giving money to a candidate. But if we have clients, that have political action committees, which we do, they can give to candidates. However, they cannot give to those candidates when they're in session. Right. We are assuming when November comes around, it's like the middle of November, I think the week before Thanksgiving, we are assuming that the General Assembly will be out of session and we're thinking this for a couple reasons. One, the business should be done. That We were thinking they might have redrawn the maps by then. But then the two gentlemen who are headlining these events in Duck, North Carolina, can say, we are adjourned. We are adjourned. And then this event can take place. And they can say that we are adjourned for 10 days. Mm-hmm. That is the magic number. We should also point out that this money that is being donated is not being donated to the candidates themselves. Right. The money is going to the Senate Republican Caucus and the House Republican Caucus. And that's a way that you're not donating directly to the candidates. You don't have that cap on how much you can donate to an individual candidate. You have you can donate that to the party or the caucus, and then the caucus doles out the money. So it's a way around that sort of rule. And this is not something, by the way, that Republicans invented. This was the state law going back to Jim Black, Going back to Mark Baznight, this has been the law. I think the most current revamping of this was in 2009 to put it in compliance with Citizens United. So if, if, uh, if, you, if you have a pack out there and you want to give to, the, to this $30,000, 15 to the House, 15 to the Senate, one of the stipulations, though, is that you can't say hey, here's my 15, I would like you to invest it in this district, or I would like to take out this Democrat with this money. You are just giving this money to the caucuses, and they can do anything they want with it, within the law, of course, but they are not obligated to spend it in any way that the donor wants them to. Contrast that with giving to a candidate, you are obviously trying to help a candidate win and defeat their opponent. It's I think it's somewhere around $5,500 that you are capped at. You can give during a primary that amount. You can give money in the general election. So it's a little over $10,000. You are capped. When you give to the political parties, it's an unlimited amount of money, but you do have less control of it. When do lobbyists get up and testify or speak against a bill in committee? We were in a situation where we're representing a client and there was a bill before the committee that our client had some concerns about. And we chose not to speak before the committee. And we thought 
and do think that that was the wise move to make. Can you talk a little bit about when you do testify, when you don't? First, if you're going to speak against a bill or you're opposed to certain provisions in the bill, I would say general assembly etiquette is that you will go to the bill sponsor first. You go to the bill sponsor, you tell them what your concerns are. They'll either say, I'm not going to change that or we can work on this. Maybe they'll say something like, we'll PCS it in the next committee, but I need it to get through this committee first. And so you have that conversation. And based on that conversation, maybe you do need to stand up and testify in committee. Let's say they, that legislator says to you, I'm not going to change this. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And then you say to them, then I'm going to have to get up in committee and speak against this. Um, it's just a courtesy that you provide to them. And so let's say on the other end, they say, I can work with you on that. So at that point, generally, it's a courtesy not to get up in committee and speak against the bill. In my experience, I have always felt that if you are speaking against a bill in committee, you are losing. So we were in a situation last week where I did, as you said, I went to the bill sponsor, who, by the way, happened to be the committee chair. And I said, our client, you know, have, has, has these concerns. And he said, be in the, we're going to get together tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Let it get through committee here. We're meeting in the morning. We'll fix some of these things and we'll go forward. So I sat down. It's like, okay, we're, this is a good position for our client. But sometimes it doesn't always look good to the client who may be listening in on the audio. They're like, hey, why isn't my lobbyist getting up and saying this is a bad bill? Also in that situation, from last week, our concerns for our client had been distributed to everybody on the committee. So they were aware of that. They had it in front of them. They knew what those concerns were. You didn't need to reiterate it. So last week, we gave you a roller coaster ride of House Bill 7. It was a bill that we were just kind of following crossover week. And when we last left off, we said that the bill was Uh, back on the agenda for the House. It had barely passed a J committee, barely passed the Rules Committee, been taken off the House floor, put back on the House floor. Taken off again. Yeah, it didn't survive. Nope. So we talked to the the advocates, and, and, you know, they outlined some of the options they have, and they're looking at just maybe getting it into another bill. But didn't want to leave you hanging out there. It was an interesting bill to follow all week, and Crossover Week just has a way of doing that. Someone who is very interesting at the General Assembly is Representative Brian Turner. We had an opportunity to sit down at this table and talk to him on Wednesday. We talked a lot about his prior jobs and coming into the General Assembly, being part of the minority, and it was really interesting and pretty funny. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Welcome to the podcast, Representative Brian Turner. Thank you, Sky. Thanks for having me. 
can you just tell us a little bit about your district? What makes it special? Why you love your district? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, so I represent uh, a portion of Buncombe County in the city of Asheville, uh, and that's my hometown. That's where I grew up. Uh, and it is, so my district I love, and, and I have a new one. They, the, the courts ordered a, a redraw of my district for the 2020 election. So uh, my, my, uh, the district that I served for three terms was pretty much just Buncombe County. Um, and my new district is uh, Buncombe County and a good chunk of the city of Asheville, including the River Arts District, the historic uh, neighborhood of Monford. But I still get some fantastic communities like out in the Hominies uh, and down South Asheville. Uh, I, get, I get to represent the airport. And one of my favorite things, the Ag Center, home to the Mountain State Fair, which is, uh, I think, I won't say it's better than the State Fair. Ooh. It's just different. Different how? Well, it's kind of like going to uh, a large hotel and then a boutique hotel, okay. um, you know, rooms, beds, things like that, but just a different experience. I think a little more intimate, uh, a little more uh, down to earth. 2014 election, you defeated the incumbent Republican. Since then, Representative Turner, that incumbent has returned into another seat. I think it's the county over, Henderson County. I have seen you interact with Representative Tim Moffat since then. You guys serve on some committees. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship? It went from contentious to collegiality. Well, so so last year, um, Tim came over into the house. He was down visiting, and, and the district he represents now is, is Chuck McGrady's old district, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a it's a it's a very red district. So uh, chances were he was going to be elected. So he came down and. Stopped by my seat back in 120, and we just had a quick conversation and said, you know, if he said, you know, I, I plan on being back here, and you know, I want us to be able to work together, and I was like, great. Um, and since then, uh, we've had a really good working relationship. He uh, he called me um, because he was going to be chair of ABC committee, uh, and I had served on the ABC committee, and he said, love to have you on the committee, but just want to make sure you're cool with that. Um, and so he and I have been primary sponsors on a handful of bills together. And you know what? I'll tell you, he's an incredibly effective legislator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way he runs his committees, uh, the way he presents in committees, you know, I, I'm learning from him. Speaking of bipartisan efforts, we were talking earlier about how you generally sign on to bills that are bipartisan and the bill that has gotten a lot of press this year and maybe you're on a media tour right now i'm not even sure but um is your zipper merge bill and i will note that i saw the bill passed what on wednesday yes and then by friday maybe thursday there was zipper merge merch online can yes. you talk about how this came to fruition? So, so a zipper merge is a, is a method of alternating merge when you have a lane narrowing. Many times it's due to construction, you have a lane closure and it goes from two lanes to one. And what ends up happening is people, because we are all good, polite Southerners, uh, we, we do what's known as an early merge. Mm-hmm. And so everybody gets over in one lane and it leaves the other lane completely empty pretty much. Uh, And that's actually one of the least effective ways of managing uh, a lane narrowing. The most effective way of doing it is a zipper merge where you use both lanes to the merge point and then you alternate like a zipper. This, um, as somebody who drives up and down I-40 a lot, uh, you know, it's very frustrating. Uh, And it's also particularly frustrating when then you get somebody who pulls out into the other lane and then blocks it. And I'm like, you think that I'm the rule breaker trying to cut the line, but really I'm trying to do the right thing that's going to help us all get through faster. 
Um, so this bill would, would add it to the, uh, the driver's ed curriculum uh, and so educate people that this is the right way to do things, um, as well as uh, you know, just uh, uh, make it a ticketable offense to also block that extra lane. I will say that I saw a tweet from Representative Everett that says that it was always about the merch. Is that true or false? <laughs> I, I, I appreciate uh, Representative Everett's um, uh, uh, just his, his, his precision on Twitter and, 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 his, and his undying loyalty to that platform. Um, no, it wasn't always about the merch. Um, but, uh, uh, but if people do want um, Zipper Merge merch, if you swing by my Facebook page, there'll be a, there'll be a link there. Um, but really the goal there was... Oh, wow, to, this is an ad for the merch. <laughs> but, but the goal there was to really just kind of help raise awareness for it. Because we all know, you know, it's one thing to get a bill out of the house. It's another thing to get it through the Senate. And so, uh, you know, I want folks to know this is a, a legit thing and, uh, and, and get their support. Can you take us down the road of your career prior to getting into politics and then how it affects how you communicate today to your constituents? Okay. So, um, so my first job out of college, uh, I ended up driving a van for MTV News when they were in Chicago covering the um, Democratic Convention in 96. And they said, hey, you've got a good work ethic, you've got a good attitude, come to New York, we'll give you more work. Uh, and that started my then, became a 10-year career working as a television producer uh, for MTV. Oh, wow. um, and so, started with MTV News, uh, and so I have tremendous respect for, for the media uh, and for journalists. Um, people don't think that necessarily MTV News is that hard-hitting, uh, but we did a number of specials um, with, uh, with Tabitha Soren. We went and met um, gang members and talked about their lives and carrying guns in their everyday life. Uh, we, did, um, we covered some, some small riots that were uh, in Mexico City uh, outside of a Rage Against the Machine concert. Uh, so um, it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't Leslie Stahl, but it was definitely uh, reporting. Um, but then I moved on to some of the larger productions that MTV does and, and eventually became one of the producers of Video Music Awards, um, Super Bowl halftime show, yeah. uh, movie awards, things like that. How did you get back to Asheville from, from life on the road here? Okay. <laughs> so, so this was probably 2003, 2000, I guess 2003, 2004, and uh, we were producing the Video Music Awards at Radio City Music Hall. And uh, there was a band called Good Charlotte at the time, for anybody who may remember them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, and Good Charlotte was not happy where they were playing in the lineup uh, in the show. So we were having a meeting, and it's like the executive producers, the president of the network came in from, you know, whatever his house in the Hamptons, uh, where he was like for the weekend. And... And I, and I kind of looked around the room, and I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, we've got the president, you know, Van Toffler, we've got the president of MTV here because good Charlotte, with their one hit, <laughs> is upset about where they are in the lineup and, and, the, and the labels threatening to like withhold other artists from us if we don't change it. And I, you know, it was kind of those, I, one of those moments where I looked at, I looked at Van, I looked at Dave Srolnik, who was one of the executive producers and Sally Fertini, and I was like, I don't think I want that job. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't, you know, this may not be right for me long term. And so that got the conversation started with, with my wife, Katina, who was a TV producer and director. 
Um, and fortunately, um, it led to coming back to Asheville. Okay. Um, being, you know, and that's where my folks are, it's where my sister is. Um, and, and I'm very happy we made that change. And your wife's sort of a superstar too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, she's awesome. She's, I mean, she was a, gosh, she produced like, or she directed America's Next Top Model. She did House of Style for a number of years, Spring Break. Like, yeah, she, she kicked butt. And she used to be on uh, uh, not TRL, TRL with Carson. And so she's, yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty kick-ass. Do you miss old MTV? I, I do. I mean, there was, I mean, it was sort of, you know, growing up, you know, you go to a party and someone would basically just turn on MTV mm -hmm. on the TV. And mm -hmm. that's, that was your soundtrack for the night. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and, I, and I think now, you know, if we had MTV now playing videos the way it used to, we'd all sit there with it just on and then be on our phones probably doing yeah. something else. But I remember like sitting and actively watching MTV. And then when Michael Jackson's Thriller came out, and that was like a major video event, and they programmed it so it came on like every, mm -hmm. every hour and half hour, and you'd watch it, and it was appointment television to mm -hmm. watch videos. Yeah. And you know, that was, a, that was a pretty cool era. What is the bill that you are most proud of, or the piece of legislation that you've worked on that you would say is your greatest achievement? Well, uh, well, when I first came into the legislature in, in 14, I was in the super minority. Uh, and then again in 16, the super minority. And now in 18 and 20, I'm in the minority. So, uh, you know, I'm somewhat limited in, in the things that, that I've been able to get done uh, because of that. But I would think that um, th there are two, two bills that, I, that I'm most proud of. One is uh, when I worked with Representative Dennis Riddell to increase the... Um, the statute of limitations for victims of child sex abuse as it relates to civil liability. So in North Carolina, it used to be basically 21. Mm -hmm. um, and we worked to try and get it uh, uh, raised to 45, um, but were unfortunately through compromises only able to get it raised to 28, but it included a one-year look-back period. So um, some of those victims could, could seek you know, some level of justice that way. So that's one. And the second one is, um, it was a bill that originated with Senator Chuck Edwards, and that was the creation of the uh, Pisgah View State Park. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, I worked to get that through the House um, so we could get that signed into law. And, um, and I'm really psyched because uh, the governor gave me one of the pens uh, that he used to, to sign that, that bill. But you know, that for me is not only is it conservation work and really going to preserve some wonderful land, but it's gonna be a huge economic driver for an area of Buncombe County that has um, traditionally been somewhat forgotten uh, or economically depressed. So it's gonna be a real game changer for the folks uh, out in Candler and in the Hominies. So those, those, are, those are two that I really kind of like to hang my hat on. You have told us that you did your homework prior to coming on the podcast. Yes. And so this question will not be a surprise to you. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our political system and our politics right now, what would that one thing be? <clears throat> Well, that's a great question, Sky. I wasn't, I wasn't anticipating that at all. Um, you know, I think there are some policy things that would be great to wave that wand for, things like legalizing marijuana, things like expanding broadband, but those are policies I think we can get done without the magic wand. Um, if I were gonna wave my wand, I would make us a full-time legislature with four-year terms. Yeah. Wow. And I, I just, Two-year terms, we are, we are constantly on a campaign treadmill. 
Um, and it just makes it very difficult because everyone's always looking to the next election, which is just always right around the corner. And so it'd be nice to have a little more breathing space um, and, and be able to have, um, you know, I think that would help with bipartisanship um, or at least lower the temperature somewhat. Um, and then being full time, you know, we are, people ask me a lot of times, what's the job like? And I say, we are a part-time legislature, but we have full-time responsibility because the, the folks in, in Arden don't care if it's a Tuesday in October and we're not in session. If they call me or my office, they want to get a response. They want, they want help. They want to talk about an issue. And so, you know, North Carolina is, you know, we just got an extra congressional seat. We're a growing state. We're like the ninth largest in population. I think we're the ninth largest uh, economically. You know, we need a full-time legislature. Our, the, the people of our state deserve us to be working down here full-time on some of these really complex challenges that we're facing. Um, and, you know, I think it would just, it would do everybody a lot of good. Um, and, you know, and, and, and the other part, part of, the, part of the problem with being part-time is that it also limits who can serve. Yeah. And so, you know, basically you've got like kind of like, you know, three or four categories of people who can serve. You know, you've got retirees, uh, you know, business owners, um, you know, independently wealthy. Uh, and so, or, you know, and then, you know, jobs that have flexibility. You know, I'm a commercial real estate broker, so I can kind of, you know, set my own schedule. Um, but, you know, if, you're, if you are a, a shift supervisor at Eaton Electrical and you decide that you want to run and serve, you can't do it. Right. Um, so we don't, so, it, so we, we, we could have more diverse voices um, in the General Assembly if we were full time. And, and I think that's just where we need to go. That's my magic wand. That's my abracadabra. That's my Lance Burton, Chris Angel move right there. So we usually end the interview with the magic wand question. But your answer reminds me of a story that our friend Tim Boyum over at Spectrum News, Capital Tonight, uh, did uh, a few weeks ago about you and your commute from Asheville to Raleigh every single week and about your stay at a campground where you camp out when you are in Raleigh as a legislator. Can you talk a little bit about that, Representative Turner? Oh my gosh, so, so I, I have tried, I have tried, I feel like every kind of living down here um, possible. And again, sort of because of the, 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 the uncertainty of the schedule and things like that, it's hard to really plan. And so, you know, I tried doing a hotel. But then it's, you know, it's like, God, it's like, I wish I just had a place to, I could leave a razor and a couple of suits and shirts and not have to worry about it. And then I tried renting a room. Um, and then it became, you know, like being back in college with like three or four roommates. Um, and then I, uh, when I was talking to um, Brent Jackson, Senator Brent Jackson, he was telling me about the campground. And I was like, this is great. So I ended up buying a camper, travel trailer, and park it at the campground at the state fairgrounds, and I bring a trailer down at the beginning of session, leave it there, and I take it home when we adjourn, hopefully at the end of June. <laughs> Rep Representative Bell. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, it's, but it's great. We've got, got some great neighbors. I've got Dudley Green, Representative Dudley Green, who's actually in the campsite right behind me. I've got Alan McNeil, who's at the end of my row. Uh, Bobby Hannig also is there. Um, uh, Senator Warren Daniel is there. 
Um, so it's, it's a good little crew. Um, and you know, I've got my space, it's self-contained. I've got a you know, shower and bathroom in my trailer. You know, I get up in the morning and I go and I take like a three mile jog around the PNC arena and everything. And I come back and get cleaned up, come to the general assembly and I've got some place to come home to at night that's mine and uh, by myself. Uh, and that's, and I've, and I've got the place now where I can leave a razor and a couple of suits. Hmm. Do you feel like you socialize with the other members that are there a lot? Um, from time to time, Dudley will, um, like D- Dudley, since he's right behind me, uh, he's got his dog Zoe. Uh, and his, his wife Allison, I believe this is LA. And so we'll, we'll talk from time to time. Um, sometimes I bring my dog down. Um, so there's that. Uh, and, uh, Warren Daniels come by uh, before. Um, and then I usually see Alan when I'm out running and he's driving into the General Assembly. But, uh, but, it, but it makes it, you know, but I'll tell you, you know, my, my relationship with, with Representative McNeil is different now that we're both out there. You know, we've, that's a, we've got a point of commonality now. And so we can kind of talk about things and then move on to other topics. Um, you know, I'd like to see personally, uh, <laughs> I would like to see the, the state create a legislator's dorm. Yeah. I would love it if the state would provide housing and I, I don't know, maybe require us to stay there mm-hmm. and, you know, put us to, you know, cause that's one of the things that we, you know, that's one of the things, one of the unintended consequences of the, of the ethics legislation, um, that was passed before my time was that it eliminated some of the social opportunities for legislators to get to get together. Yeah. Um, and I think things would be a lot different if we're all sitting around having a cold beer, you know, just chatting, um, you know, you know, I don't know, maybe complaining about who left their dishes in the sink. Yeah. Uh, but but um, that, that's that's my that's my other magic wand mm. move. But um, but yeah, but the trailer's great. Uh, and I and I and I welcome anybody to come out um, typically Tuesday evenings. Uh, we'll have trailer time, so you've got to bring your own camp chair, you've got to bring your own beer, but, you know, come out and visit. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. Well, Representative Brian Turner, we appreciate all that you have done for your district, all you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on this podcast. Oh, thank you, Brian, and thank you, Sky. We enjoyed that interview with Representative Turner. I learned so much from that interview and that conversation, you know, we've hung out before. We've, um, I've seen him at dinner, love talking to him at the General Assembly, but really getting the background on that M- those MTV years was just fascinating to me. I grew up, we're, we're kind of the same age, Representative Turner and I, so I kind of, I grew up on MTV, um, music, big part of my life, and it was interesting to hear him kind of take us through the early years into his political career. It was interesting. One of the other things I really admire about Representative Turner is, and and I know you've worked with him a lot on sexual assault bills, is that he does a lot of work behind the scenes he and his staff, Austin High, who is great, he knows what he has to do to get a bill passed or to get a bill introduced or moved in committee. And sometimes that means taking a step back from it. That's right. He told us that sometimes you just have to pass it off to somebody else and let them take it and swallow your pride. I'm kind of worried about where we are in the budget process. You and I have spoke to a appropriations chair on the Senate side this week. We've spoken to House members. We've heard other podcasts. It seems like we are not on track. 
It does feel like that, yes. And it also, we have heard the rumors that the Senate doesn't care if there's a budget. They're willing to go home. Yeah. So the contention right now is what is the spending level? And from my math, just the various numbers we've heard from various sources, let's just say they seem to be about a billion dollars apart. Senate wants to spend less money. House wants to spend a little more money. And a lot of this has to do with this surplus of four and a half billion dollars. And we heard uh, from some from Senate sources and House sources that, you know, the Senate really doesn't want to move and the House doesn't want to move. And there has been talk. We don't even need a budget. We can just go home on July 1. And that kind of, I think, is sending some shockwaves through the General Assembly as this conversation amps up. It kind of goes back to what Senator Perry said when he was on the podcast, that the House is seen as more spendy and the Senate is seen as more conservative or restrained in their spending. And I think you've said before that's been true going back. It's not these leaders that are this way it's been this way for forever um but we do hope that they will reach a compromise on that spending level because the governor has said so many times i'm going to sign a budget yeah and and out there is this kind of evergreen statute we have if there is no compromise, no budget that is signed into law on July 1, which is the beginning of the fiscal year, we automatically, we being the state of North Carolina, we revert to last year's numbers and keep things stable. That's different than in Congress when there is either a continuing resolution um, that will fund the budget at a certain level until a date certain and different than a government shutdown, which we see happen at the federal level as well. Prior to 2016, uh, when they passed this Evergreen statute, the General Assembly would come in and pass maybe 10-day continuing resolutions or maybe one-month continuing resolutions, and it really put pressure on legislators to come to the table and work work out a deal. The Evergreen statute certainly has its positives, but one of them is if you are the chamber that is a little more thrifty, then going back to last year's budget, or in this case, three years ago mm-hmm. budget, it really, you you have the leverage there. Sure. I, I keep reminding myself that there is this kind of posturing when there's disagreement between the chambers. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that Senator Berger learned from Senator Basnight because Senator Mark Basnight, when he ran the Senate and he was in disagreement with the House, he just packed up and they left town. They bring this out every biennium or every budget cycle and they will tell you, we don't care. We'll go home. And the House usually finds a way to kind of meet on the Senate's terms. Sure. I do remember in 2015 when we had Governor McCrory, um, the House and the Senate, and I think they passed their budget at the very end of September that year. Mm. There were continuing resolutions, and then it passed at the 
very last second um, at the end of September 2015, and thus the Evergreen statute came after that. Yeah. So I have enjoyed this past week being slower than last week. It gave us an opportunity to kind of catch up with things around the office. The other day, we got to hang out on our front stoop here at the office and people watch. That was really interesting. We also got to take some walks. Mm-hmm. That was good. People thought I was attacking you on Twitter. With I a- mean, if you pause the video a couple of times, you can see the look on your face and that's how I know how you really feel about me. However, you're weak, so you just weren't able to bring me down. Yeah. Well, you can see that video on Sky's Twitter page. Um, we were just having fun. I can guarantee you that Sky would kick my butt. Yeah, if you're looking for someone to fight your toddlers, maybe Brian Lewis is the person for you. And that is our podcast for this week. We hope that you take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Help listeners find us. We hope you have a relaxing weekend and a great week ahead. And remember to do politics better. Welcome to the podcast, Representative Brian Turner. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You want me to start over? No, that was perfect. We need a director here. Go ahead. Do it again. We'll see how it works. You have a booker. (laughs) It's distracting, honestly. Where is it? In your nose. (laughs) Why are you acting embarrassed? It's just me.